When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In an absolutely drab night at Wembley, England sauntered through to the knockout phase, winning 1-0 again, thanks to Raheem Sterling again, and against a team beginning with C. Again. Events in Hampden Park meant that Czech Republic wouldn't finish in the top two and will now have to wait until tonight to find out their last 16 opponents. The fates of Croatia and Scotland were decided at Hampden as the genius of Luka Modric shone through to eliminate Scotland and take Croatia through albeit into the tougher half of the draw. I am Jake from What If Football. This is the Eurodaily Podcast, episode 17, where you can get on Acast, Apple, Amazon or Spotify. And after the European Championships, we'll be there three days a week with podcasting content there. More on that later. We're also on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. Again, after the Championship, seven days a week content there podcast football manager content all for the price of a lovely refreshing pint on this summer's morning that's three pound here in Yorkshire so let's get stuck in to today's show reviewing group D and previewing groups E and F at the Euros so the news going into the England Czech Republic game last night was the absences of Chelsea teammates Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell ruled out through the Bizarre COVID regulations on the back of advice from Public Health England. Also see uh, the next segment for Billy Moore, Billy Gilmore's exclusion um, through through, uh, contracting COVID. Scotland's participation in the last 16 is up in the air, just like Mounts and Chilwell's, but not for the likes of Bukayo Saka, Jack Grealish, Kyle Walker and Harry Maguire, who all went into the squad for the game on Tuesday night. Thomas Hollesch and Thomas Suchek continued in their double pivot for the Czech Republic. And England, like so many other games in this tournament, started very, very well. And the starters, Croatia, off quite well in the first 10 minutes, hitting the post. Did so against Scotland as well with John Stones um, heading against the post, didn't he? And again, did so here as well, which is a very clear strategy, I think, to uh, start off hot, grab the goal, um, lapse back into second gear. 
in the middle third of the game, allow the game to sort of sag and drift by, not give up chances, not create too many chances, but if a chance does come by, try and take it, of course, which is uh, which has seemingly been the strategy very early on um, from the, every single game. There's a clear um, narrative running through. Obviously, England didn't get that goal against Croatia in the early 10 minutes. Obviously, the, they would then return to the... Uh, just grab a chance when you can in the last sort of... I think it was on the hour mark, the Sterling goal against Croatia. Obviously, couldn't find the net against Scotland, but didn't need to... They didn't need to hear after the... Uh, after the opener came. And um, in this higher gear, I think the change for... We were all expecting Jaden Sancho or even Phil Foden. Phil Foden was rested. He was um, not even in the match day squad because he's picked up a booking and Gareth Southgate will obviously start him in the last 16 now because um, he was not played because he, he was uh, one yellow card away from suspension. So England's fullbacks were very much higher than we'd seen in the previous games. This time it was Walker and uh, Shaw, which is a third different combination, which it is, could be construed as a, a bad thing in terms of not knowing your defensive four. Also could be construed as a good thing because you're giving minutes to every single fullback. Obviously, Chilwell, I think, might have played tonight, uh, last night rather, um, had those COVID regulations not uh, hampered his involvement. But regardless, Shaw was uh, probably one of the best players on that night, to be fair. Um, he probably felt that Chilwell might have come in as well, so he probably upped his game a little bit. Uh, see his form for Manchester United with Alex Tellers as signing for uh, more on that one. And um, England were much more offensive, especially with Bukayo Saka coming in for Jadon Sancho, who we all expected to start, and Saka's uh, ball-carrying abilities, so too with uh, Jack Grealish were very, very good in the opening 20 minutes, got England much, much higher up the pitch than they had done in in any of the other uh, games, really. They were much more progressive with the ball than their um, teammates would have been in the same opportunities. They carved out a lot of chances. Grealish was almost a 10 in Mount's absence, so it was more of a 4-2-3-1. He was interchanging with uh, Harry Kane. Harry Kane dropping deep, as he often does now, um, in both an England shirt and a Tottenham shirt, and Grealish was... Sometimes the most uh, forward-thinking player in the uh, in the team, with obviously Saka and Sterling as your inside forwards, with um, Sterling making a lot of good runs early on. Kane, I don't think again he three tournament games without a goal. We seem to remember that he won the Golden Boot in the World Cup, but if we analyse that two two penalties against Panama, two from um, second. Balls in the corner against Tunisia. You've got um, no goals in Belgium. He didn't play against Belgium, of course. And then you've got the uh, obviously the the absolute fluke of the hat trick goal against Panama, which is a Loftus cheek shot that cannons off his heel. And then you've got the penalty against Colombia. So effectively, aside from that fluke against Panama, the last one, every single goal that Harry Kane scored at the World Cup was from a set piece. Now, obviously, England, Harry Kane is he's not, not, he's not on corners. It's not Euro 2016, but he's, uh, he's in the box from corners and he probably will take the penalties as well. So the, those opportunities just haven't arisen for England in that manner yet. He's not gotten to the, uh, the knockdowns from a corner or rebounds like against Tunisia. He's not had a player kick the ball against his heel <laughs> and uh, scored a goal that way, as in uh, Panama. He's not got penalties as well as we had seen against Colombia and the other two goals against Panama. So that's why I think that golden boot slightly distorted. It's one of the 
on technical ability, one of the worst golden boots we've ever seen, really, uh, to be honest, uh, not to be biased. But the, the goals will come. Is that, That's my point I'm trying to make for Harry Kane. He, he's bringing in... Bringing it down for others as well. I think I think he likes playing a lot more with uh, Jack Grealish and the team. He got more touches did Harry Kane, if not really successful in front of goal. He had one chance, which was a uh, which was a really good opportunity, but a strong hand by the uh, Czech goalkeeper when he was found in behind the uh, defence. Another player found in behind the defence was Raheem Sterling. His tireless running again, a huge huge plus for England and people who continuously doubt him, who want Sancho in as well, just because he's a fresher name and all this. Sterling's in this team for that reason. He's tireless running in behind the defence. Sancho probably would be more of a creator, more like a Foden, more like a uh, Grealish. And I think that uh, Southgate wants to play a creator and a, a runner, either side of Kane. And Sterling is the perfect the perfect foil for the, in that system, really. And he proved it again, really. The goal on the back post obviously started with Bukayo Saka's great running, as he often proved, and that's probably why he's got man of the match, to be fair. And um, Jack Grealish, of course, ran it to the byline. A lovely clipped cross to the back post, and Sterling was there with the header, wasn't he? And it just goes to show there that the two fresh changes, Grealish and Saka coming into it, and that is tournament management, isn't it? And um, it's as good as what it can be, bringing two players, relieving the pressure. One change made out of duress, really, with... Um, Although, to be fair, both changes made out of duress with Foden's yellow card. Um, not wanting to risk him for suspension. Obviously, Mason Mount, uh, Jack Grealish coming in for him. I doubt Grealish would have started otherwise. Um, but it just goes to show the strength in depth for England as well, which is another plus point and another point in the, uh, the column that it might actually be coming home. <laughs> but uh, we'll get on to that later. Defensively, though, I don't think England ever looked really close to conceding. Um, in pretty much any match, you had the uh, Thomas Suchek half chance, didn't you? In terms of the other games, he had Stephen O'Donnell's drive, which forced a good save out of Pickford. That's probably the closest that England could have come to conceding in this tournament. In the first game, there were a few half chances for Croatia, but they, they were usually off target, weren't they? So it, it's good for England in terms of defences. They've obviously not conceded a goal. They joined Italy from this tournament. They joined Germany from 96, which, of course, they won that tournament, let's not forget. And they joined Germany from 2016 as well. And Poland from 2016. In not conceding in the group stages. And in terms of giving up XG, England have got the second best record for that. Only behind Italy. 0.03 behind Italy as well. So it's effectively the same. <laughs> if we're going to uh, take clutch at straws there. But in terms of defensively, one of the best teams at the tournament. By the numbers, by the eye test, by everything really. And they look, just look assured they've had... Numerous fullbacks come in and play. They've, they've played all but Chilwell in the fullback roles. And my point of view is that Chilwell probably would have started last night had it not been for the COVID regulations. And we've also got Harry Maguire getting minutes, which is another plus point. He looked up to speed. He did not look rusty. Although you could say that he's not been not been really tested, as he, to be honest. Uh, but he got some minutes under the belt, got a full game, and uh, looks raring to go for the knockout stage now, which is, can only be a good thing. And... Tyrone Mins had played a good, um, but had a good two games of previous games. But it's Harry Maguire, and if Harry Maguire's fit, he's always probably going to play because he's one of those leaders in the um, in the England team. Same with Jordan Henderson; he got forty-five minutes, took care of possession a little bit, and um, I probably wouldn't have taken him off for Declan Rice. But you know, that's just a managerial decision, and perhaps resting Declan Rice for the last sixteen and quarterfinals because, as we've seen from the first half. 
Czech Republic didn't really give up much, didn't really do much going forward. In fact, the uh, the first shot in the second half was on 83 minutes. That's how uh, pragmatic Southgate and England were being. That the only shot, England and Czech Republic, this is, was in the 83rd minute, and that was from a, a wild Alex Kral chance that was just blazed wildly over the bar. So... And then, yeah, let's get it straight. The second half was one of the worst passages of football we've ever seen. I think we're all in agreement there, but do we want to have fun or do we want to win? <laughs> that's my that's my argument. Turkey, Finland, Russia, North Macedonia, Scotland, all played three games, all scored the same or less than England. All out, Finland look like they're going to be out tonight. Um, that's barring a minor miracle. Um, I've put permutations on my Twitter account at what if underscore YouTube if you're wondering. Um, they need a whole raft of things to go for them, but... They all are out, all bottom, apart from Finland, who uh, scraped by Denmark, of course, in those circumstances, but otherwise would have finished bottom. They've all scored the same or less, which is two or less, two or one, one or two, and Raheem Sterling scored England's only goals, but I don't think that is a bad thing. Defensively, fantastic. Attacking-wise, peerless. And I said yesterday, Jack Grealish can be a great impact player in the knockout phases, and I think he can be, still can be. If there is, I feel as though there's another couple of gears for England in terms of maybe not from. I don't think it's an England team that um, if they go one goal behind, which is the test we haven't seen yet, which will happen. It, it it has to have happened surely at some point in this tournament, in the knockout phase, perhaps in the last sixteen, because it's going to be a tough last sixteen game between one of Germany, Portugal, or France, maybe even Hungary, but. Um, Let's not hold out hope for Hungary. Let's just go ahead and play the good teams and win. Try and win the tournament that way. But uh, I think this tournament is won from the talent on the bench um, that will come on. And England, in terms of your big hitters, so I've I've pinpointed four teams. So you've got Italy, Belgium, France, England. Look at the talent on those benches. Who's got the biggest squad depth? It's probably between England and France. Belgium's drop-off is quite significant. You've got Jeremy Docker in there, of course. You've got good attacking talent, I don't think, at the volume of England. Italy, they've got good volume in midfield, I feel. Um, on the wide positions, yeah, they've uh, got some good... Um, they've got players who, who offer something different. So, for example, Chiesa to Berardi. Chiesa's more of a runner, Berardi's more of a passer or a shooter, for example. In England, you've got Rashford, Sancho, Sterling, who similar-ish in terms of running. Sancho offers a lot more creatively and also creatively. He's, Sancho's probably a hybrid between the two wing, wing, wingers profile that we've got in terms of England. Meanwhile, you've got creators Foden, Mount, Grealish. And Saka you can put in the uh, the first one as well, but he Saka is a unicorn, as I like to say. So is Grealish, but uh, Saka in terms of his versatility, if we do go two or three at the back, Saka can play left wing back. He can also play second striker, heart of the midfield, anything. He's just, um, that's why I think Saka's going to be key in terms of tournaments going forward because he has got this wide range of wide range of positions he can play. Again, tournament management. And I think he's going to be key for the next uh, decade or so, really, and um, why he will be in the team more often than not. And I think, yeah, Grealish, he offers something that probably no other team has. One of those players that just will run and run and run, draw fouls, and as we know, set pieces in tournaments is key. And um, it will be key for England going forward. And we haven't seen the uh, the volume of set-piece goals that England scored last time at the World Cup, which was nine out of the 12 goals that England scored, I think. I think those are the numbers. 
So when Grealish get, comes on against a tired, flagging Portuguese defence next Tuesday, wins that free kick, gets a goal from the free kick last minute, then uh, that is the game plan. And that is a solid enough game plan than any, especially when the solid defence is giving up less and less chances. Obviously, England, you could say, haven't been as tested as, say, France, Germany, Portugal, who have conceded goals. And, um, yeah, they haven't. And um, we'll get to that road when we cross it, really, won't we? And uh, cross that road when we get to it, rather. And um, the only way is to uh, find out which will be Tuesday. The path to the final is probably better. It's kind. It's probably going to be the kind of half of the draw we'll have to see in terms of the quarterfinal tonight, where we see where Sweden end up. Um, but in terms of the last 16, that's assured. It's going to be Germany, Portugal or France, or by some minor miracle, Hungary, um, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, which we'll discuss later on. Meanwhile, the quarterfinals between Sweden, Spain or Czech Republic, in terms of the winner of Group E and most likely the third place from Group D, which is the Czech Republic now, which we'll discuss why that is after this short, short break where we're discussing the 2021 Trivial Teaser, reviewing Scotland versus Croatia and previewing today's final group matches. Well done to the following, Spencer, Jake, Pazza and George for Granite Xhaka's answer yesterday. Slightly too easy, maybe. Today, I am a centre-half. I've been managed by Dino Zoff. I've been managed by Andrea Perla. Some of my teammates have been Aaron Ramsey, Valerie Bojinov, Angelo Delivio, Andrea Perlo again, and Pavel, and Pavel Medved. I am a centre-half. I've been managed by Dino Zoff, Andrea Perla. I've also played alongside Andrea Perla and Aaron Ramsey, Valerie Bojinov, Angelo Delivio, and Pavel Medved. Who could I possibly be? Well, you'll have to find out on tomorrow's show. Well, we'll be previewing, reviewing the last... Four group games, another four group games today, which is fantastic. Also, you can find out the answer on our Twitter account, which is at whatif underscore YouTube. Time for a quick break, but after that, we'll uh, get into Scotland 1, Croatia 3. So much like the England game, the narrative running through the preview was, of course, COVID controversy. And it was Billy Gilmore testing positive, which meant he would not return to the European Championships unless Scotland reached the quarterfinal, which meant they needed a win today. Could they get there? Well, they placed Stuart Armstrong in his place in the midfield. It sort of meant they changed the midfield with uh, Stuart Armstrong, Cal McGregor and John McGinn in there and not for the better, I don't think. In terms of Croatia, Juranovic came in at right back and I thought he looked very, very assured compared to Sim Vashalko in that position. He held back Robertson and Tierney on that left flank, you didn't see a great deal from Scotland's arguably two best players, probably inarguably two best players. And um, that is probably because of Juranovic. He was bursting forward at uh, will, it seems, in the, especially in the first half. You also had Nikola Vlasic come in, the clamour of Nikola Vlasic. He came in, you know, Bruno Petkovic coming up in up front and Marcelo Brozovic returned to the squad after missing the second game. It looked like a 4-3-3. But Modric was essentially controlling the game from his number 10 position. He was he was far more comfortable on the ball. Croatia were far more comfortable on the ball. It was just streets ahead in terms of quality, unfortunately. In the build-up to the game, Croatia were caught in traffic and might not have made the uh, might not have made the stadium in time. Did they play like it? No, unfortunately they didn't. 
It could have been a different game, though. Che Adams nipped inside and almost, he was inches away from it, wasn't he, inside about five, six minutes, and that would have been a completely different game. That showed the quality of John McGinn in the channels. But unfortunately from Scotland, we didn't see that anywhere near enough in this game, anywhere near enough in the tournament, really. And the difference in the game was one man, wasn't it? Luka Modric. He was the piece of quality that was essentially the difference. But the opener came from... Nikola Vlasic, the clamour, the Jack Grealish of Croatia. It was, uh, he was been clamouring for him to play that number 10 role. He didn't play, he played off the right in this uh, 4-2-3-1 really. But the goal was far, far too easy from a Scotland perspective. Vlasic was allowed to peel away, latched onto a knockdown from uh, Perisic, put the ball in the net and I'm pretty sure that cements Vlasic's place in the, uh, in the last 16 squad now. He looked great at carrying the ball, he brought dynamism, otherwise lacking for Croatia up top. You've seen Andre Kramaric, fantastic for his club Hoffenheim, but vacant at this tournament. Ante Rebic, again, great in the Bundesliga, not too good here in this tournament, I don't think, and uh, far more presence than either of those have sadly offered from a Croatian standpoint. The centre-forward, Bruno Petkovic, I said in my team preview, don't forget about Bruno Petkovic, he top scored for Croatia in qualification, and I have finally been justified. <laughs> and uh, I think that Croatia have really hit onto a combination here. Modric was an 8 or a 10, Vlasic drifting from the right and coming in centrally with uh, Juranovic, bursting on as a right-back. Got a bit more energy, Juranovic, as a right-back ahead of uh, Sim Vasalko, who's been, let's be honest, he had an injury hit season and not played a right lot for Atletico Madrid and... Um, Petkovic through the middle is more of a focal point than a Kramaric or a Rebic. I think they're more... Kramaric I, I see more as a number 10 or a wide man drifting in. Same with Rebic, he's more of a wide man for me. And um, Perisic, of course, on the left, always on the left. Um, he almost got a carbon copy of his goal against the Czech Republic here, but uh, it was blocked before he could. I think even uh, Josko Vadiol on the left looked more comfortable. He's Bombing down more. He's obviously more of a centre-half, but uh, he looked a lot more comfortable on the left and growing into the tournament, as we see. So Scotland had fallen behind for a 22nd time at a major tournament. They'd only overturned one of those one of those deficits, and it was, of course, the famous game, 1978, the Netherlands, Archie Gemmel. And even that game wasn't enough for Scotland to qualify back then, and... Scotland finally had something to shout for just before the half-time break. Callum McGregor pounced on a loose ball. Low drive. Scotland finally got their goal in the tournament. All 24 teams have now scored at the tournament, which is the good news. The bad news is Scotland did not get numbers forward enough. Adams, Che Adams had little bits of sniffs here and there, but it was very rare. Um, Lyndon Dykes, for me, was vacant in that holding, holding up centre-forward role. Similar to the first game against Czech Republic, really. He was a bit more... It was a bit more there of a presence against England. Um, Stephen O'Donnell, the same from right wing back. Again, he would probably revert to more of his Czech Republic game, not not showing the brilliance going forward. A bit, um, bit vacant at times. He didn't put himself about a bit enough for me anyway. And I think the difference in quality can be summed up by the second goal, really. The reshuffling of the midfield didn't suit Scotland. And we see the ball played into Bruno Petkovic. Obviously, the Modric goal is delicious. The outside of the boot goal, that's quality. Yeah, that that can happen to any team. And when you've got a player like Modric in anyway, it shows that he was best player on the pitch by a mile, doesn't it? But it wasn't that. It was more Petkovic. He brought the ball down, played it off to the side, opened himself up, laid it off to Mateja Kovacic. Obviously, 
it was what we'd call now the quote-unquote pre-assist. I'm not going to use those terms, <laughs> but uh, played it Kovacic, Kovacic played it to Modric goal. Um, it just that that encapsulated it for me because Scotland have Lyndon Dykes in that position, and could you see Lyndon Dykes doing what Petkovic did there? The assuredness to take the touch away from the defender, play it back in, and then obviously the goal is created. That was the the clear divide for me between Croatia and Scotland, and obviously the third goal killed it. Luka Modric crossed to Perisic an absolutely delight of a header akin to Patrick Schick's goal in the first game, and again, from a set piece, it could happen to anybody, really. And again, that again served to highlight the differences. Scotland severely missed Gilmore. It sounds an exaggeration. He's only played one full one full Scotland game, but there was no composure in the Scottish midfield. They were overrun by Modric, Brozovic, Kovacic, and again, what this reminded me—not to bring it back to England or anything—this reminded me of the World Cup semi-final three years ago, where Croatia's midfield just looked completely at ease against England, and even when they were backed into corner, even if they. Scotland equalised even when England went ahead still looked assured in that midfield and just when they wanted to take the game away from them took it away from them so England qualify in first Croatia with that third goal qualifying second with the three goal swing on Czech Republic on goal scored they go through on so it leaves Croatia in what looks like the harder half of the draw with second place in Group E which will of course will be determined tonight it would be it will be Sweden if Sweden draw and Slovakia win it will be Poland if Poland can win It'll be Spain if Sweden and Spain both win, which seems like the likeliest, but I'm not going to predict anything in Group E. Anything can happen. Or it could be Slovakia if Slovakia draw or if Slovakia win and Sweden win. So how does Scotland bounce back from this? They've got their two toughest World Cup qualifiers in September. That's away in Denmark, away in Austria, of course. They drew 2-2 with Austria at home earlier on in the earlier on in March. They're in a fairly good position, they're in second place, one win, two draws, and second place will earn them a similar playoff format to what we've seen uh, qualifying for this tournament, playoff paths, and then uh, I think it's two-legged though, this time might be one-legged, I'm not too sure on the details, but uh, the main competition for that playoff place will be Austria, Austria similarly waiting for a World Cup since 1998. In terms of talent coming through, you've got Patterson at right-back, which will who will probably take over the mantle from O'Donnell going forward, you've got obviously... Gilmore, central midfield there. Uh, David Turnbull can play more of a more of a ten. Get John McGinn further back, uh, playing his uh, usual eight that he plays for Villa. Obviously, you've got uh, McGinn, McTominay, TNA, Che Adams, Nes- Nisbet, all entering their prime at the minute. They might be lacking a centre forward going forward, but they should be very competitive in qualification rounds in the next sort of eight to ten years, I believe. I've I'm sure they'd be more than competitive than what they have been in the past. There'd be no three nils in Kazakhstan, for example. And um, brighter futures, I think, ahead for Scotland after this tournament. Meanwhile, for Croatia, I think they're going to go a little bit under the radar. They could be playing Spain, but um, if they do get through that last 16, a likely tie with the winner of Group F, which could be France and might be a step too far for Croatia, that one. But after the start to the tournament, quarterfinals would be more than welcome for Croatia. So let's preview the final four group games. We are at the end of today, unfortunately, of the group stages. The real stuff begins in earnest on Friday. And Group E, Sweden versus Poland, Slovakia versus Spain. Now, things look slightly rosier for Spain in their final match. Obviously, with the uh, progression... 
the maturation of the uh, third place table here. They now only need a point to qualify. Of course, they can still finish top if uh, results go their way, of course. It's clear that Luis Enrique is sticking with Alvaro Morata, so let's compromise as Spain fans. Um, if so, if he's going to keep Morata, keep Jared Moreno on the right-hand side. I think it offers Spain something else. It's more like a slanted 4-3-3, something that we see from uh, from France. And I don't think I think the the system is rarely used in this in this tournament. Teams seemingly don't have an answer for it. But the only problem with Spain is the, uh, the getting the goal part that uh, France are quite good at, and obviously on the counter where it's, they don't have the pace really. They could have the pace from the wing backs, or rather full backs. They play as wing backs, but the full backs in terms of Jordi Alba. But they aren't the counter team. They are the possession-based team, the high-volume possession-based team. And this game is going to be no different, especially against Slovakia, who sat deep against Sweden. So, um, Slovakia, I've got no hope for them, really. For, it might be harsh, but I've got, I've got absolutely no hope. They couldn't hold out against Sweden, so why would they be able to hold out against Spain? And, of course, anything but a Spain loss here kills my boy. Roman Yaramchuk, the tournament will be over. Clinging by a thread. Alternatively, alternatively, we could hope for a Sweden win, which would keep Poland's points tally on one, and a Spain loss, a big enough loss to overturn that Slovakia goal difference, and Ukraine, Roman Yaramchuk, the golden boot train, will be back on course. <laughs> We're back to the games today. Meanwhile, in St. Petersburg, the need is simple for Sweden. A win confirms top. A win for Poland also confirms a last 16 place. They can't finish top, though, I don't believe. The maths are hard. No, they can't finish top because if Spain win, they'd be above them on points. If Slovakia get something, they'll be above them on head-to-head. I think I nailed that one. It's hard work, this. Uh, but a Spain, a Spain win and a win of Poland... That would be enough to have them second. So it's interesting to see what, what Sweden shows up, really. They are defensively sound, but can they hold uh, Lewandowski? Can Lewandowski get the right service? Obviously, the goal against Spain came from a cross. I think Sweden are much better equipped at fighting those crosses than Spain are, for example, in terms of the middle. Marcus Danielson and Lindelof have put their bodies on the line numerous times for Sweden down the years especially Lindelof. Poland haven't offered enough going forward. They don't seem to have that uh, thread through the team, obviously missing huge names like Milik and Piontek through the middle who have been ruled out for the tournament, of course. So what happens if teams qualify? So first place gets the third place of Group D. That is if Ukraine and Finland both go out, which now looks like the likelier scenario, which, of course, would be Czech Republic. Croatia is awaiting in second place. So the runner-up of the group will be in the top half of the draw, which is the harder half of the draw for me anyway on paper. You've got Belgium in there. You've got Italy in there. The winner of Group F, which could be anybody, which we'll be previewing in a minute. Uh, it could be France, Germany, Portugal, of course. And then um, <laughs> and then the winner and the, or the third-place team, if they progress, will be in the bottom half of the draw with an England, with uh, the runner-up of Group F being, again, one of France, Germany or Portugal. Or the Netherlands, or even Wales or Denmark will uh, we'll be uh, previewing the last 16 when it comes to it as well uh, later on in the week. So now to Group F. And unfortunately, this is Portugal versus France, Hungary versus Germany, by the way. The build-up to Hungary versus Germany, the narrative unfortunately has been centred around 
whether the Allianz Arena is allowed to be rainbow-coloured, and it's, I'm not going to say anything other than it's a timely reminder that UEFA, if they fought, if we thought we might have been lulled into a sense of security, that they are actually the good guys after the Super League debacle. This shows that they are not the good guys, they are just pricks, but I'll say nothing more on that. Germany know a point will be enough for the last 16, and if France beat Portugal, enough for them to finish second. And I don't think that Hungary versus Germany is the done deal that you think it is. It is, it is at the Allianz Arena, there's no Puskas Arena crowd. 60,000 strong in Hungarian colours supporting them, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Hungary are set up well in a 5-3-2. They'll need the likes of Attila Soloy in the heart of that defence to be strong against what is a roaming front three of Germany. We, Germany, who are missing Thomas Muller from that roaming front three, which will be a very hole, a big hole, a very hole. That is a shocking uh, word. A big hole because who is it going to be? Who's going to jump into that slot? Is it going to be Leroy Sané, who doesn't look as though he's trusted by Jogi Love, or is it going to be Timo Werner? Alternatively, it could be Kevin Volland as well. Um, the two rhymed out as of Havertz and uh, Muller won't be able to utilise that fluidity, I don't think, in that front three. Hungry though, Attila Fiola, fantastic on the left wing back role, of course, against France, bombing forward and getting the nipping the goal on the counter. I thought this is where Hungary will get their joy. Obviously, you have Klein Heisler breaking from the field. You have also got, if he's fit, that is Adam Soloy being in a big nuisance of himself and putting in a captain's performance as he often does for Hungary. Also see Roland Chaloy to uh, run the channels and also make a nuisance of himself. So the setup is there, I think, for Hungary to do something, sit very, very deep and look to pick off a German defence that will play exceedingly high, as is the style in the Bundesliga. And of course, playing wing-backs, Kimmich and Gerson's Rudiger, I fear, for a bit positionally, which uh, could be... Could be a key theme if they play England in the last 16, but uh, we'll get onto that maybe sometime down the future. So it's not a done deal. Obviously, Germany have the stronger team. They'll have to break down Hungary. I think the best bet for Hungary is to sit extremely deep, nick a goal on the counter like they did against France, and uh, hope that at one bit of quality from from Germany, like what happened against France, doesn't happen and they can see out a win, because they need a win to go through Hungary now. France-Portugal, of course, is a repeat of the 2016 final, this time in Budapest. Hopefully, there'll still be 60,000 strong there. It should be a fantastic game. France won't be as flaky on the counter like Germany, I don't think. The fullbacks don't push up as high as um, Germany. So, for Portugal, that's a plus, I guess. It's also not a plus, because when France inevitably get that first goal, they will sit extremely deep, and Portugal... I don't think they've got it in them to break down a top-level defence like that. Portugal need to be better up top, and to be fair, third place isn't the end of the world. They just, if Portugal do lose, restrict it to four goals, because if they lose by four, they're out, because they'll be in that uh, vaunted last two third-place teams on goal difference, unfortunately. So with that avoiding defeat by four goals, this is these are the permutations, really. So if they lose by two goals or less and remain in third place... Ukraine and Finland bow out of the tournament, which means a kind of quarter of the draw, which means the Netherlands in the last 16, a quarter final against Wales or Denmark, and a potential reuniting with one of France or Germany, or, or a reuniting from the good old days of 2004 2006 against England in the semi finals, which is not too 
bad of a draw, really, is it, when you finish third? And obviously there'll be more than enough omens to go about for 2016 and that one finishing third in Group F, getting through to the semi-finals if they do that, of course. And of course, if they lose by three and Spain and Poland both lose, Portugal will receive Belgium and the toughest quarter of the draw easily with uh, Italy also in that quarter. And then obviously have to play likely the winner of Group F, which is France or Germany. So, Anglo bias here. I think England can beat Germany or Portugal if they retain this uh, quote-unquote negative style. And uh, because I don't think either, I don't think Portugal can break down a team like a team like France, a team like uh, Italy, who are resoundingly good defensively. They did pick off Germany, but Germany, I fear for them, slightly defensively. Meanwhile, France are playing like tournament winners, draw against Hungary aside. They're, they're good going forward, they're fantastic defensively. They, they did allow one goal to slip through the net, but that can also happen to any team. I do think uh, I can't look beyond France. The fluid midfield, it will drag Portugal's double pivot around. and The double pivot, I don't think, is too mobile. Um, Portugal will need Bruno to have a good game, if not attacking-wise and defensively, to do anything for me and hope that that counter with... Jota, Bernardo Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Hope that counter is in full effect. As we saw, they can be slightly got at, but maybe that's an isolated incident. Maybe that'll have been worked on in the meantime. But we will, of course, find out tonight at 8pm, which serves to be a fantastic night of football. The winner of this group likely gets Switzerland if Ukraine and Finland go out. Second place, of course, as we all know, get get England. And uh, third place, if Ukraine and Finland go out, which is... What I'm predicting at this stage um, will face Netherlands. And if Spain or Poland both lose, they'll get Belgium. So the quarterfinalists, the winner of Group F gets into the top half, which is what I'm calling the harder half of the draw um, against uh, one of Spain, Czech Republic or Croatia. The runner-up will play probably Sweden if England are beaten. And third place will play if they manage to get through the Netherlands in that half of the draw. Wales or Denmark, and of course we will be covering it all right until the end of the tournament on July the 11th. We'll be concluding this Eurodaily podcast journey, odyssey, on July the 12th. And until tomorrow, see up the three lines. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.